Okay, is everyone good to go? I need to move over to see these guys over here. Um, okay, let's uh, start off in prayer here tonight. Faithful lover of our souls, from whom all love has its definition, we come to you today seeking strength. For negotiating your words to us in the midst of the culture in which we live, that we might be aware that it is your love that leads us through the transforming, renewing, and reconciling power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, first off, before I go any further, I have to give credit to this guy over here, Philip Kennison, who wrote this book called Life on the Vine. And it's kind of where I'm drawing a lot of the material uh, for tonight. Not all of it, but, you know, got to draw from somewhere these days, so there you go. (laughs) And um, so, yeah. So, let's just get right into it then. Uh, So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit... Uh, the Bible uses imagery of good fruit to illustrate how God's attributes, the attributes of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are to be evident in every part of our lives. And it's not just fruit, because good fruit comes from good trees that are strongly rooted and healthy. Uh, It's the imagery that we have in Scripture of spiritual maturity Especially in uh, a lot of the contexts that we come from, the evangelical Protestant traditions, uh, many of our churches focus on evangelism, mission, outreach, uh, getting people in the doors of our church, but we neglect or don't really focus on as much the process of discipleship. And discipleship is one of those words, Christian buzzwords around, you know, it literally means following Jesus. Uh, the 12 disciples, they follow Jesus around. But in our Christian circles, it's how we describe the process of Christian maturity, growing in Christ. Um, Matthew 7 talks about, uh, says this, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Galatians 5.22 says, By the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in a step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So, show of hands, who likes to live in Canada? I do. All right. Yeah. Especially during the especially during the Olympics and you know gold medals and all this you know medal count and all those things that make us think about hey it's pretty good to live here it's pretty good to have what we have but again show of hands 
how many people see that in our modern age, our dominant culture makes living the Christian life hard? We see that? Yeah. What's interesting is that many of us lament the loss of Christian values in society and that Christianity has lost its place of privilege and authority in society. We think that if Christianity were to be reinstated as powerful as it once was, all would be well. But it wouldn't really be that good or that well, would it? Kennison, in his book, says that we need to remind ourselves that Jesus never suggested that we should evaluate the health of his people by how much power they wielded or how much privilege they amassed. Rather, Jesus insisted that his followers would be identifiable as his followers by their fruit. What the book suggests, and what I think is really true about this, is that it's quite possible for the church to be growing and yet not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. John 15 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Another quote from Kennison here, The Spirit is the lifeblood of the Church, the vivifying force that makes its very existence possible. If the Spirit of Christ genuinely animates the Church, then it should be bearing the fruit of that Spirit. If some other spirit animates it, then we would expect it to be bearing different fruit. So can't we ask the question, where, well, is it bearing fruit? Sorry, we can't ask the question, well, is it bearing fruit? We should also be asking, is the fruit that the church is bearing the fruit of the spirit? Um, lest we think that bearing the fruit of the spirit is about talking about rules and regulations, what we should or shouldn't do. Kennison says that we do not desire a more plentiful harvest of the Spirit's fruit because our salvation is at stake, or because we believe God will love us more if we are fruitful. Instead, our concern is tied to God's mission in the world. Christians believe that God is in the process of healing and reconciling all of creation. We also believe that God has called us in Jesus Christ to be the first fruits of that reconciliation. Looking at 2 Thessalonians and in James. Um, And in short, God has called us to embody visibly before the world the reconciliation that God desires for all of creation. Part of that vocation in the world is to bear the fruit of the Spirit as a testimony to God's continued presence in the world. To fail to bear this fruit, therefore, is to fail to provide the world an embodied witness of Christ's reconciling presence. The church may, of course, continue to speak to to the world of God's reconciling work, but but without the fruit of that work, its words will sound hollow, and its witness will lack credibility and power. So, where does our culture fit into all this? How do people know? How should people? How should people know that we're Christians? What sets us apart? All these are questions that we have to deal with. And what's interesting is when we look at our culture, is that we see that religious convictions of any kind are rarely really talked about in everyday conversation. And that's because our our culture, 
has decided that matters of religion are considered to be private and not public. It's kind of an indication, like not that that's good or bad necessarily, but it's that recognition that we are shaped by our culture and we are products of our society. And so we need to realize the culture that we're in shapes us. And even as Christians, in our culture, we've become very, very good, especially Christian culture. We've become very, very good at identifying the dangers of certain practices, a lot of these having to do with high-profile cases of um, often sexual in nature. That means that we've been blind when we look at these things above all other aspects. We've been, we've been blind to some of the other kinds of dangers of the practices that we should avoid. Kennison uses the example of a garden He says that uh, it's as if we become so fixated on a particular kind of weed in our garden that we fail to even see the others. We simply wander through our garden, being sure to uproot that one particular variety of weed. Though some may argue that such selective weeding is better than nothing, I doubt those plants being choked out by the remaining weeds would feel the same way. So what does this all say? Well... When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, many of us are in need of some good pruning. Um, We hear a lot of sermons, we read a lot of good books, we hear a lot of people talk, we go to a lot of conferences, but just going through the motions and going through the Christian life like that doesn't make us fruitful. If the church is to be the community God desires it to be, then it will have to reflect the character and mission of the God it worships. So, Activity time. In your tables, or get a, get into groups of your tables or so. If you're at a table by yourself, join another one. Um, and write a list. You all have paper at your table. Write a list together as a table of things you should think you think we should work on in our life, collective lives to walk in the Spirit and to let the Spirit produce fruit in our lives. Does that make sense? Say it again. Yeah. So make a list of the things we'd like to work on as we think about walking by the Spirit and letting the Spirit produce fruit in our lives. So whether it's time or things like that, right? So And they'll vary person by person. That's totally okay. But just kind of recognize and maybe settle on a few things that, um, that as a table you can agree on that should be written down there. So go. Question? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So as we talk about the fruit of the spirit, as we talk about the fruit of the spirit, we're talking about like doing certain things that embody the fruit of the spirit. So what are some of the things in our lives that we can work on to embody the fruit of the spirit more? Yeah, that's what I think we need to do. Things to work on, to walk on the spirit. 
Really? Praise God. And I moved and I got moved to the seat. Like it was it was pretty random and she just started like crying. Like it was like Talking about okay, these guys are girls. I had two guys.
establishing establishing growing together in the community, holding each other accountable. So if you have like something you're working on specifically, have something like, oh, what were you trying to be patient this week? Mm -hmm. uh, serving others, uh, attending to the needs to need and following through. So not just seeing a problem, like thinking, like what can I do about that to help like help that situation. Um, being mindful and aware, being intentional, making God a part of your day, inviting <coughs> pardon me, inviting him to be a part of every aspect of your life. And then um, the the script we have a scripture verse is Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your old heart and stone and give you a new heart of flesh. So just realizing that you don't you are now that we've come to Christ, we don't have to be held by our old ways. We have like this this is naturally come to us now in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Like this like and then just being intentional and focusing on that. We know how to cultivate the spirit in our lives, at least part, right? Yeah. So why don't we do it? <laughs> why don't we do it? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to live a life of holiness where we don't fall asleep in our quiet times, where, it's, where we avoid our problems, where we do all these things? Well, it's... it's uh, sorry? Go for it. I said the battle is raging. Yeah, 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 totally, right? It's, you know, it's our fallen nature. It's definitely the forces that are around us. It's, but above all that, the Holy Spirit is greater, right? Come on. And, uh, yeah, so, so, now that we're on that high plateau, high peak, not really a plateau, it's bad for yeah, summit. Ooh. Yeah. Not the highest one, though. We're gonna still going to get there. So we're going to take a break. Braden and Trav. Uh, I'm just going to do a quick announcement. Uh, you guys have probably already seen this, uh, but uh, we have all the dates here. Feel free to take one. Um, just uh, obviously, um, we're going to be at Missions Fest. It'll be pretty soon up here. Uh, it says the 22nd. But um, you can see this on your own time. I don't really have to tell you about this. I just want to call, tell a quick testimony, too where Travis comes up. Uh, last uh, one that we just had with Danielle was really, really awesome. I'm not sure how many people were there. Yeah? Okay, well, 
you guys all should have been there. No, it was just really, really good. Um, uh, we had a, a John Hoffman brought a friend, and uh, Dean and John got to pray with him, and later he got to receive Christ, um, just a couple days later. And so God is moving. It's really exciting. Um, so, yeah, just if you guys can keep connecting with us uh, through Facebook and everything like that, uh, feel free to bring people. Be uh, be outrageous and ask people who you don't think are going to come. This guy who came was totally uh, not, like, Christian influence in his life, what, one little bit, and uh, and now he knows the Lord, which is amazing. So uh, just be bold and ask people. So, anyways. Well, thanks so much for coming out to the teaching night, and uh, Dave, just so appreciate you teaching. I'm just excited to hear part two, and I'm, I could actually read your notes. Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks pretty good, actually. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, but uh, just I got back from uh, part of what I do today. I was travel and speak, and that's part of resurgence going out. And so I was in Penticton this weekend, and I flew in Saturday to Penticton. And I preached Saturday night, and then. Sunday morning I was involved, I was with the guy who was preaching on Sunday night, and uh, flew back just at 4 o'clock today. So, uh, but really cool story is I was on a plane going to Penticton, and I had to stop in Calgary, which I didn't know it was WestJet, so I stayed on the plane, and I'm sitting in the front, the bulkhead, in the middle, and uh, two individuals get on, and um, they needed extra room. Um, and uh, they, they, were, they needed extra seat belts as well. And so I'm in the middle of these two two people that just needed extra space. And so the one lady already, you could tell because the arm didn't go up. So she's like, uh, is there any other seats on the plane? And, you know, <laughs> just like I really felt I'm like, oh, that sucks. And so uh, I'm just doing this and, um, and uh, just there. And all of a sudden the plane is full apparently. But there's one seat right behind me. And uh, the, all of a sudden the stewardess comes. I'm just kind of like on my phone waiting for us to get going and stuff. And uh, she's like, uh, could you move? She comes to me and I'm like, yeah, sure, fine. So she goes, yeah, right to the seat right behind you. I'm like, oh, okay, it's like still in the middle, but it's good. Gives them more room and stuff. So go move to the back, to the seat. And this girl right beside me, she just starts like, She's reading David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> and I've never read that book. I've heard about it. I don't even read it. It's a good book. Anyway, she's reading it. So she's reading that. And I said, oh, David and Goliath. She goes, oh, yeah. I said, so what are you doing in Kelowna? She goes, well, actually, I'm going for a surprise birthday party for my dad. And then she goes, what, it, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm going to preach. <laughs> so she goes, oh, okay. That's really cool. And so then it just started this conversation. And in about six or seven minutes, she was like crying beside me and she's a, a geologist that just has had a just terrible uh, time at work uh, just with harassment and all this going on and she's in like a guy's world and she's just through this all and she's just like I'm like so who's the giant you're facing and she's like my company and like all of a sudden it was just this like I said do you think you're healthy and she goes no I have post-traumatic stress like she's just just totally, and so there's this moment where she's like, yeah, like, have you ever seen The Secret? I'm like, no. <laughs> how, about, how about Eckerd Tolly or whatever? And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. And so she's like, so she's going on, and I just got to explain the gospel, and she grew up in a Christian home, 
and she just kind of wasn't interested. And, and so I'm explaining and then uh, just talking about how, how God can come and, and heal you and, and you need to get healthy and just all these things. And so she's just talking the whole time. And um, it was it was really amazing. God was just there. And it was. she goes to me, she goes, you know, I missed my flight this morning. I was driving in from Cochrane. I missed my flight. I had to pay $350 to get on this flight. And I'm like in my mind going, I know why you missed your flight. Because <laughs> you needed... So, anyways, we're walking out of the airport, and she goes, man, like, she goes, I know why I missed my flight today. <laughs> because, like, this, is, this isn't an accident. This is like, there's some fate happening here. Like, like you encouraged me or something. God did something there. So, anyways, I go get my bag. I, I said, hey, I'll be praying for you. If you need any help in Calgary, I know somebody that, you know... Are you seeing a counselor? Kind of tried to. So then she gets her bag. She comes over. She's like, I just want to thank, like, like I felt God, like when I was, you know. And so just a cool story. It's like I was, I got to Penticton. And I told the guy, I think I've come and done what I was supposed to do. Like, but that was it. It was just an encounter with this lady who's just God touch her, you know. And um, so I, I believe that she's gonna find. And I just encourage. She goes, Well, how would I like? Like, if I wanted to, ask God into my heart, how would I do that? So I said, tonight, when you go home, you know, you need to just pray and cry. And she goes, yeah, I'm going to think about that. I, I think I think it might be time. And so, just really neat. And um, again, and then I went and we preached, and it was uh, seniors uh, in, in Penticton. Uh, there was a lot of seniors in Penticton. And, uh, but they're hungry for God. And uh, they're, hungry, they're hungry for their grandkids and their kids to know God. And so... Um, it was a really great time in ministry, and uh, all that to say, we have Braden talked about our things coming up. We're going to do some prayer and fasting in March. Uh, we'll have more stuff coming out about the dates, but we just want to do 14 days of like pray and fast as a community. And 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 Dean and Brain have been talking about that, and just we just really feel, uh, yeah, just it's a it's an important spiritual discipline. And fasting for you may be uh, Facebook. For others, it may be food for 14 days. Uh, whatever it works for you, and um, and then we uh, missions fest is going to be awesome. We have a teaching night; it's in March, and it's going to be back here. And then we have a teaching night again in April, and uh, we have uh, Dr. Simon Shea is going to be teaching on uh, shame and purity, and he's a he's a psychologist, uh, clinical psychologist, amazing guy. We're really excited to have him coming. He deals with uh, sexual addictions and like all sorts of addictions. He just he's going to be great. So yeah, so lots of exciting things coming up in May. We have uh, Sean Foyt's coming for uh, for a night in the middle of the week, and uh, that's going to be really great. And so all those things. But we're going to just take a break to uh, to have a snack, use the washroom for like a couple minutes. Uh, but we do this night is we do it free, and we just take a, a love offering and just to pay for some of the expenses and to go into the ministry and to go in what. Uh, all that Resurgence is doing. And so on your table, there's a partner form. Um, and this is an opportunity to partner monthly. And uh, I know some of you just just thank you so much for your partnership and your monthly commitment. Some are partnering $10 a month. Some are partnering $500 a month. And uh, it all counts and it all makes a difference. And we're really, uh, I just ask you to consider praying about, hey, what could I do? What could, could I be a partner? Because uh, we really want to increase that and just so that we can do more and uh, go to more places that maybe just can't pay and, and can. And so we're doing a resurgence like home in April and some different areas. So, 
So again, uh, you can take a look at that form, and if that's something you want to do, you can just fill out. You can stick it in one of these envelopes and seal it so your credit card's all hidden and everything. And then in these fancy envelopes, we have an offering card, and maybe you just want to give like a one-time thing. And we have our uh, we have our Visa machine here tonight in the lobby, so Dean's going to be up there. I'm pretty excited to use that. It got its use at the last resurgence, and it's, it's pretty awesome. So why don't we pray and... Uh, yeah. Lord, thank you for generosity. God, thank you for this community. And thank you for uh, the fruit of the Spirit, God, as we learn love. And God, teach us, God, in community how we live this out, how we cultivate this in our lives and, and in this community and beyond and in our everyday. God, thank you for Dave and just all that you're doing in his life and just, just the words that he's sharing with us tonight, God. And God, I just pray a blessing on each person in this room, God. I I pray that your presence would be with them in in every need that they have. And God, we pray for resurgence. God, would you increase? Would Would you make the dreams reality? God, bring in the finances. And God, you know all the needs. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God, we pray for... Uh, Natalie, who I met on the plane, God, I pray right now you would just minister to her and that she would find you, God. She would find you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take five minutes to uh, to uh, grab some hot chocolate or water or cookie. Or you can go see Dean in the lobby. So get this, I was debating on whether I should go back to school. Oh, yeah. And then 
I've got a couple volunteer positions and um, then then I had a pastor that came to me and said, well, how do you feel about uh, distance learning? Really? Yeah. I said, he's like, well, because my wife and I, she's also a pastor, yeah. um, developed a, a, like a program with modules, 10 or 12 modules in it with different books of the Bible that you can go through. And he answered questions and at the end of each module, there's a quiz. I said, I can't give it to you for credit because I can take it for free. And he actually taught in high school in Saskatoon. Wow. Yeah. Or in Saskatchewan. I don't like that. Wow. You're pretty cool. He's in his It's um, he's in the environment. Wow. So he deals a lot with um, That's so Yeah. He was on the street for days, but Tommy and I don't and then, like, um, he's in the seventies. So, for him to be like, okay, I'll get Rhonda to like uh, one of those daughters to you know, <laughs> yeah, if you want it, I'll do it. And I was like, well, that's kind of too for his answer. I mean, today I was volunteering at my mom's place. Like, I don't want to. Yeah. I want to yeah. yeah. it. I don't want to yeah. it. exciting. Yeah, so it's really exciting. So I, I, I'm still going to see my advisor tomorrow and be like, well, I'm yeah. going to wait until the like, end of the registration deadline. I'm just probably going to see what he thinks will be like realistic for what kind of business is. Yeah, absolutely. And find out, check in with other schools. Like, yeah. I really want to in my brain like driving for education, but it's like... My soul needs to be fed as well. So it's like, oh, yeah. And it's like, so if somebody awesome. comes and says you can do this for free versus like three or four thousand dollars, I mean, yeah. It's like it was meant to be. And I was, uh, I was a plan. Yeah, I, I got introduced to this uh, small group. It's not a fresh fire. And then everybody there was like, oh, you're so wise. And I'm like, well, I'm 10 years older than you. And I just, it was just kind of like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I when I started, it was like, I was there. And then it was interesting because uh, this one guy was, the same guy was explaining how the gifts of the Spirit was like the first time he was in and when, you know, sometimes in a situation, you may not have, you, not be, you may not be very strong in this game, but if it's needed, you may manifest in it because it needs to be there. And so, yeah, isn't that interesting? I was, people were saying that as well, and I don't consider myself the best person in this situation, and then even in the scripture, oh, that's really nice. I never figured that out. So, yeah, it's very good. Yeah, I'm very good.
it's like they don't like talk about one of the specific fruits of the spirit and that is love and it's also a core value that resurgence has identified as being important to the culture and lifestyle that we want to cultivate so and specifically in the context of our culture 
we're going to talk about how to how we should be cultivating love in the midst of our uh, culture, which thinks that everything has to be about market style exchanges, buying and selling. What does that look like? <clears throat> so, John fifteen eight. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And Luke 6.32 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expect to, to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So, how would you say our culture defines love? Quick, hands up. Romance. Go for it. Romance. Sex. Who else? Material goods. Material goods. Yeah. Any more? Self. Self. Yeah. That's a key word. That's good. Yeah. Is it emotion? Emotion. Yeah. Temporary. Yeah. Emotion on an act. Temporary. Easily undoable. Yeah. Um, so cultures like ours encourage us to be to consider all aspects of our lives in the terms of self-interest. How do we cultivate a life marked by God's love, a love that is always directed towards the needs of others, in a culture so thoroughly saturated with self-concern? So what does, life, what does love look like? We, uh, we sing in our worship songs that love is the center of our faith. Love is first off the mark in Paul's list of fruits of the Spirit. A lot of scholars think that it's first because it most strongly reflects the character of God. And it is through love that all the other fruit of the Spirit are evidenced. And we've all heard before how in the English language our, you know, we're not very good at, we only have one word for love, where like the Inuit have lots of words for snow and all the things that are important. You know, we, talk, we, we use those examples to illustrate, well, oh, my language is terrible at, at describing love in that way. And so as Christians, we want to capture and try to recapture the essentialness of love in our words and our actions. And so scripture describes God's love as being different from the way that we think about love or our culture thinks about love. Another book I was reading this week is called The Voice of Jesus by Gordon Smith. And he says that even though love is the obvious message of scripture, it can never be assumed that we comprehend this love. Did you say that one? Yeah. Even though love is the obvious message of scripture, it can never be assumed that we comprehend this love. So the fact that God's love is completely unmerited and completely undeserved is so central to the gospel. We see this in Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And so Smith kind of goes on and talks about a lot of things, but kind of the essence of what he talks about is that in lots of our evangelical traditions, when it comes to the ministry of the Spirit, we hear the most about things like strength in the face of temptation, that the Spirit will help you. We hear that the Spirit empowers you for ministry. 
But one of the things we don't hear about is that we don't hear about the assurance of God's love. That we don't we don't hear the fact that God loves us that often, or it's possible to think that way. But it really comes first. Before any of those things, God has to love us, and we are assured of that love. Smith, there's a quote here: "We cannot walk in the Spirit unless we accept the love of God poured into our hearts by the Spirit." So God's love is steadfast and eternal. There's nothing we can do to stop God from loving us. Talk, you know, it's in Romans 8, 31, we have, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Condemns. No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? (coughs) Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we face things we are more than conquer. No, skip the line. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's kind of an extended passage that really talks about how God is steadfast and eternal in loving us. And beyond his love for us, God the Father's love for us, we see God's love for us is also a suffering love. God does not love us from a distance. Jesus, as the incarnation utterly and completely knows our sufferings. He is a wounded healer. The suffering of Jesus and the the centrality of the passion narrative, we're thinking about this as we're kind of in in the Christian calendar, we're in epiphany right now, which means looking for the manifestations of God in everyday life. We see God revealed to us in the ordinary. But as we move into March, we we think about Lent and we think about the days preceding Christ's death. And the centrality of the passion narrative is something that the Catholic tradition is so good at emphasizing. And they say, no, we need to understand this suffering Christ who died on the cross for us. But we as evangelicals, we don't think about that, right? We say, oh, that's Catholic. You know, we don't don't think about that, right? Um, Or it's eclipsed by other things should say too but we can learn a lot from this suffering Christ God's love knows no bounds it is transcendent and above any boundaries constructed by any society or anything and that's what makes God's love so cool to be honest because as we look at how Christianity is uh, evidenced in other cultures and how we see the Spirit of God moving in other places in the world and how it looks different than it looks here. 
the power of, and the spirit of God indwells in our culture. We are products of our culture, and God subverts and transforms our culture into his culture. <clears throat> oh, that's funny. It's over there. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Confusing. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, stories like the Good Samaritan—they talk about our tendency. This is a quote: our tendency to love, to offer our love only to those who meet specific criteria, and that falls short of God's way of loving. So, now that we know something about God's love, we know that it's unmerited, undeserved, that it's a gift, it's steadfast and eternal, it knows no bounds, what do we do with it? What's the pattern? Well, we see through scripture that love is an outward-looking love. Our love for God and his love for us cannot be separated from the things that we do. 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We, we look at passages and, uh, in the Old Testament. We look at Leviticus. And we see how Leviticus gives us the ultimate entreaty, uh, the ultimate way of saying and the way of describing that we need to be hospitable to aliens in our midst, the strangers, the unwelcome, the disenfranchised. I had the opportunity to go to the uh, uh, Justice YEG conference last November, which was held downtown Edmonton. And uh, it was put on by a variety of churches and missions organizations and uh, this guy named Rick Tobias, who's from Toronto, he came and was emphasizing that when talking about justice, exclusion of any kind is a death sentence. Now, he was talking about the, the poor, the marginalized, the outcasts of society. When we exclude people, when we, ex- when we offer a message of exclusion to them, it's a death <coughs> sentence. Poverty is the final mark of exclusion. It says you're not in the, you're not in our society anymore. He he says uh, when the church blames the poor for being poor, we have accepted the world's definition of love. We the church are the ones that are supposed to be different. The church is called to be the embracing community, the inclusion community. So God's narrative of love continues through scripture and many of us don't have to be convinced of its power and persuasiveness because we know it, right? Ephesians 5, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, here's the paradox. The fruit is always a gift, but it still requires hard work. We talked about the call to holiness and discipline over here. It's hard work. This is faith and works hand in hand on the road to spiritual maturity. But wait, it's not that easy, is it? Our economic system still demands self-interest. We still buy things, we still sell things. 
and it impacts every aspect of our lives. And sometimes we think, well, it has such great benefits. Look at all the things and the variety of things that we can buy at such low costs. And uh, <clears throat> I've, uh, I've worked at Fort Edmonton Park for the last five years, which is a historical living history museum in Edmonton. And uh, many people who come to the park have a sense of romanticism about what it was like to work and be in the past. They say, oh, so much simpler. I don't have my iPhone. Uh, there's no TV. Oh, what a life. Well, okay. In some cases, that may be true. There's no denying that the pace of our life has only gotten, has only increased. But it's only 100 years ago. And you haven't had to fight for two hours to light a fire in your stove because it rained last night and the air is still moist and damp. And you need, and you need to have a fire if you're going to survive the winter, let alone your next meal. So I, I say that only to say the Christians that lived back then weren't any better off necessarily. They had their own struggles and hardships as well, the things of their society that were not going well. And we, yes, is where we live today, as products of that. <clears throat> so Kennison again asks the question, can we really be other-directed in our love when so many of our daily interactions encourage us to be self-interested, to pay attention to others only to the extent that they can benefit us? And to that, to that end, we put a price on everything and everyone. We talk about value and quantify it in terms of money. And it's hard to not fall into the trap of equating people's worth with what they are paid. What's our first question when we say, Hi, my name is David. It's, what, do you do? what do you do for a living? In our, in our heads, we equate doctors and lawyers and people that have lots of education <laughs> and have had a lot of hard work to get there and are paid a lot more. We equate them as being more valuable to society than those who don't have that same level. <laughs> or whatever the case may be. <clears throat> our relationships are even contracted. Our, our relationships are, are even contracted, sorry. <clears throat> There's a quote here. We often evaluate our relationships to everyone and everything on the basis of self-interest. We come with an attitude of indifference to all the people and things that make no promise to enhance our lives. So we talk about... Uh, this explains why people are often more attached to their cars, to their iPhones, to their homes, than they are to other people sometimes. Even God, right? How many things do we put before God on our list? How many priorities do we need to reorganize in our life? Now, your first, might your first reaction might be, well, I don't do that. I care a lot about people and their needs. I care about this community. Not because what it gets me, why am I a partner of resurgence? Well, not because of what it gets me, but because I believe in what God is doing in our midst, right? Why do we partner with resurgence? Well, we partner with resurgence because resurgence is a call for unity and revival in Edmonton and beyond, right? And so it's a definite danger in our thinking. And many of our churches can and have been <clears throat> infiltrated by this kind of thinking. When looking for a church, we evaluate its programs, its worship style, 
its quality of preaching, its website layout, its Facebook page, and decide whether it's a place for me. We can also be easily led to believe we are Christians just because we listen to worship music, we listen to Bethel all the time, we, we listen to Shine FM all the time. Yeah, right? But especially in our culture, it's so easy to hide behind the veil of good intentions and what other people see and what we aspire to be and not what we are, not who we are. So, with all of that in mind, let's come up with some ways that we can cultivate love in the midst of our society in its self-interest and economy and values. So that's a table activity. You guys need to come up with ways You can cultivate love in the midst of a market-style economy. This is going to be a short break, so like just two-minute brainstorming, and then we're going to just share quickly what we have. Go. Lots of answers. Just one. <laughs> Just one. Thank you. 
Okay. Who wants to give one answer out of their table? Best one out of your table. Yeah, go for it. Accept yourself 100% completely. Yeah, knowing who we are, right? Yeah. Knowing who we are in Christ yeah. is a way that we can live out our life. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because Christ comes to us, right? In our brokenness and in our culture, right? Yeah. Okay, who else? To love people that you can capture daily. So whether that's like not sitting on the bus with your earbuds Yeah. or um, listening to people when they're talking, you're going to make people back. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a whole this like I have that here under like paying attention to others, right? Like physically being aware of what's going on around us and who are the people in our lives that we can show love to, right? The uh, uh, Kennison has a quote here that says, "We cannot love other people without paying attention to them." Yet the practices and virtues of the marketplace nourish a kind of indifference. To the extent that the marketplace encourages us to see each other at all, and encourages, it encourages us to see each other as commodities, as objects that may be exploited for our own benefit. So that's under all under the category of paying attention to others. Any others? There's one over here somewhere. Promote inclusion. Yeah. And mutuality. Yeah. What do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I never say. Uh, like just treating people as equal, like being humble and viewing others with the same grace and putting down mm-hmm. your expectations of how others should treat you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Any others? There's lots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you said, you said, love looks like something. So it's kind of like choosing to give whether you feel it or not. Because hmm. we often, yeah. based on feeling, and it's about us again. Yeah. 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 And, uh, I heard, I think, from you too, the, or even from Brayden, I think, said giving outrageously, right? You said that? I mean, you're in your discussion, and that's a lot of what that's about, right? It's kind of this, and it's not just about giving, because it's also, we're very good at giving. We're not always as good as receiving, too, right? So it's about receiving and giving graciously. We're, you know, how many remember last March when Ian Green came to talk about to resurgence about generosity. I don't know if any of you were at that teaching night there, but uh, he really talked about that at the heart of Christian faith and practice is giving of gifts. And God has abundantly given to us. And so we respond in gratitude, not by some sort of keeping score, but we respond by giving to God, gifts to God. And in our worship, what are what's a way that we give and receive in our worship? Anyone have any ideas? Yeah, totally, yeah. But one of the things, especially, it's it's interesting because, uh, especially in our evangelical traditions, we uh, we don't emphasize communion as much as we probably should, right? 
Um, and communion are known by the Eucharist and other traditions as well. It uh, unifies Christians across the globe, right? And it's this ultimate physical, tangible expression that, uh, sorry, there's a quote here. This meal celebrates God's love toward us in the past, empowers us for loving service in the present, and serves as a foretaste of the final meal when we will celebrate together the consummation of God's reconciling work. So it's bringing all three together, all three dimensions in one. So it's giving and receiving, right? And also communion is a powerful reminder that God's grace comes not only in the form of bread and wine, but also in the form of flesh and blood. So the grace of God is not just in us and we accept Jesus with a prayer. We ex- the grace of God, we live it out and we give and we receive communion together, right? As a community. So anyone else? I think uh, somebody told me something that possibly would offend me, but it was said lovingly mm, to help yeah. me, and I thought that was—I felt very loved that they yeah. would risk me being offended to tell me. Yeah, yeah, and that—that uh, that kind of yeah. the gracious correction of the Holy yeah. Spirit, right? Yeah, because that's the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We uh, we know the Holy Spirit is at work because He comforts us, but mm-hmm. in that comfort. He also provides gentle correction. Yeah, right? actually, it was another Christian. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit's at work in the right. life of that other Christian telling you that. Yeah, yeah. So in the life of our fellow brothers and sisters. I think a lot of times we look at our Christian faith and we can say, like, Jesus, uh, you know, save me, but it's Jesus plus this. Mm. Well, I have to go to church. Mm-hmm. I have to read my Bible. Yeah. It's like... The, like it's Jesus plus when it's like the Bible is like yeah. we accept a freely that there's nothing we can ever do to earn. Yeah. And all that stuff that we do is is because he loves us and we wanna but yeah. but that it's a gift of love. Yeah. The fruit of the spirit. Yeah. So many times it's like, okay, well I've got to love my neighbor yeah. now. And yeah. It's like so yeah. hard work. Yeah. Yeah. And we exactly. twist it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone else want to add to that or are you Okay. Yeah. Risk. 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 What do you mean by that? Well, like sometimes the Lord will prompt you to do something, mm-hmm. but if you don't do it, then you're not really like it can't happen. Mm-hmm. And that you have to take a risk and have like just put yourself out there in a way that might make you seem mm-hmm. vulnerable or seem um, this is really crazy, <coughs> but why am I doing this? But I'm going to do it. Yeah. And you have to take that risk. Just take yeah. a chance. And that kind yeah. Of I would I would push back and say. Is it really risk if you're living a life in the Spirit? Is it not just obedience? If you're living a life in the Spirit and you know know how to hear God's voice, is it risk? Are you afraid of what's going to happen? We know who we are in our identity, right? And we know that we're loved and we're assured of God's love. So it's just obedience then, right? Not that it's not difficult, for sure. (laughs) Not that it's not difficult. Obedience is hard. Um... But, yeah. Uh, Adding on to your praise comment here, right? So, yeah, our whole worship is affected, right? When we we talk about love and ways to tangibly express it, and that's countercultural, well, our praise is countercultural. We're not glorifying ourselves. We're glorifying God, right? Um, And 
Yeah, exactly. So we, we gather to praise God as God deserves to be praised. We don't gather because of anything that we do, really, right? So, yeah. Anyone else? Uh, yes, the back. Giving <coughs> uh, to those in need. Holding, food. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Adding on to that whole giving and receiving beyond just beyond just money, right? It's not all about giving someone the money. It's the tangible physical needs too, right? Or even just walking up to somebody that is in need and say, well, why don't I take you out for lunch? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going on, going beyond just giving a material item, but saying, I will invest my time into your life because you're worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, even that is profoundly culture, counterculture what you just said, right? Yeah. Investing my time because you're worth it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're still, we're using the language of our culture, but we're subverting it. We're creating something new. We're letting God transform our language yeah. into be something that's other than what our culture says is valuable, right? So, yeah. I think for me, I'm trying, trying to believe that God is a father and like, <laughs> and build up virtue in my life by reading 1 Corinthians 13. Mm-hmm. And like that's a lifetime goal. Yeah. And For all takes, of us. It takes a long time, but yeah. that's that's like that's where I'm at. I feel that 1 Corinthians 13 is like universal love chapter. Mm-hmm. And if we don't build that into our lives over a lifetime, I think we're going to fail as Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a really good reminder that uh, you know what? The Spirit of God is not an instant fix, right? We're not into the kingdom of heaven right away. We're here on this earth. And so we're, we're here to spiritually mature in our knowledge and in our growth in Christ. And to say, yeah, we want to grow spiritually. We want to know God more. And we want to know Christ more as evidence through the scripture. So there's one over here. Someone was talking. Earlier. Before. Sorry. Okay. I, yeah. Okay. Um... <laughs> Well, I think if you're talking about a market economy, mm-hmm. then we really have to consider the impact of how we spend our money. All right, yeah. So I know for me, like, I try, and it's really difficult, but I try to be conscious and aware of the impact that my consumer choices yeah. make. Like, yeah. They impact, you know, people, yeah. animals, the environment, mm-hmm. like, those are all really yeah. important things yeah. that we need to consider. And like, are we build? Are we choosing to buy things that are just consumable and will yeah. not last, or are we choosing to invest in quality things that kind of going looking to do more with less? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the vision of of stewardship is one that we see right from Genesis, right? We see that, yeah, no, the Garden of Eden is something that, and the creation account gives us is that, well, you know, God gives us the earth to steward, not to lord over, not to do all the, any of those things. And we've, uh, as Christians, not been very good at showing our world that we care, right? We've let that, we've let that fall to the socialists and the communists and we've let those, right? We've, but we have, right? Yeah. The church has said, no, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. But no. Made it a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, also talking, going back to the Corinthians too, the presence of, uh, you know, the Corinthians had social and economic division in them too, and that's the context in which Paul was speaking, right? And it reminds us how easily we allow our possessions, as well as the status of having an iPhone, it easily divides us, right? And uh, the huge temptation in our culture is to associate identity with what we have. Um, Who we are is defined by what we own. As Christians, we know that's not true, but we don't often live that way. Um, Yeah, and what does that say? What does that say to things like climate change? What does that say to our world, right? When, uh, no, well, it should be be Christians leading the charge. Or even how we treat animals. Yeah. Like, a lot of people see that as, like, a PETA thing. Right. As for fanatics. Yeah. But God so clearly entrusted us Mm -hmm. with, like, caring for the vulnerable, like, children and animals. And people notice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think too we need to remember when we think about like poverty and stuff. Yeah. We're like always like you know those people who look like they're down their luck and stuff. Like I know a couple people like doctors and things, and I'm like if you you know you just buy them a simple coffee or something like that, and you find out that actually they have the they they may act like they have it all together, but like for instance, yeah. my doctor friend asked me how to manage her money. She she doesn't know. She yeah. you know like. And, like, it's, like, those things, like, we look and we just think, oh, they don't need help because they're high profile. And we put them in that category, like, yeah. like as if they're somehow different. And we have to recognize that like, poverty, like, loneliness, like, all these things, yeah. isolation, even, yeah. like, being in a high position, it's very yeah. lonely. And yeah. we need to look, like, remember that to as Christians instead of just like, oh, it's because, you know, they have this nice home and all this stuff, so they must be... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the it's the people on the plane that you meet that you're like, who is this person, right? But you're stuck with them, but you got it, you know. So it's those conversations that remind us and others too, right? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, and I think that's probably that's our, you know, kind of what you're touching on the whole witness to action. Uh, now, social justice is a a popular narrative these days, uh, and it's popular for a reason. And it's because something that ch- the church has not looked at uh, very well and hasn't lived it out very well. Um, and we look at you know we look at the options of our finances and what we buy and what we sell and the disadvantages and the the, the things we trap ourselves in by living in debt. What does that say, right? And we look at uh, farmers markets that now in Edmonton they have an all year round, and we say these are we want to support local food and not food that comes from Mexico. Even just looking at your grocery store to see where food comes from is fascinating, right? Fascinating to see what what stuff sells, what stuff you buy, and how that would impact your life. Um, these are just some ideas that you can kind of get you thinking, right? Um, and even we talk about generosity. Rather than keeping score of who paid last at a meal or who needs to pay to even up the score, accept graciously and give generously. 
and it doesn't need to be anything more than that. Um, and also, like I've been impacted by this, the under- understanding that some people's love language is is through using their resources to bless others. Um, and maybe you're on the giving end of that, and that's really a powerful statement in our world too. To seek out opportunities without giving expectation of return. It's really funny. The book Kennison talks about donating blood as a really like tangible like. It's just kind of a funny example, but it's kind of one of those things that you're like you're literally giving of yourself, really selflessly, right? You're not you're not knowing who your donor is or whatever, right? Generally, you know, if you just go donate blood, but yeah. So as to kind of close off the night tonight, we've kind of talked about some of these things that well, you guys came up with a lot of the answers, right? And you're and you're talking about how do we live out this life of love in our culture. Um, so let's live it out. Number one, that's what we're surgeons. That's what we're called to do, right? We're called to live a lifestyle of resurgence, which means more than going to an event. It means more than going to a conference. It means more than going to a teaching night. This is why you're here. This is why you're around tables. This is why you're taking notes or not. It doesn't matter. You can keep it on your head too. But this is why you're. This is why you're here because you're here to live a lifestyle. And as Christians, we're called to that. So just some things to think about, uh, some challenges for you guys. Uh, Reflect on the proportion of time you devote each day to yourself, your concerns, and your agenda, compared with how much time you devote to the needs and concerns of others. Now, most of us will end up being pretty self-centered in this respect, but if, and that's okay, but if the needs of others always take a back seat to our own we should begin to be troubled how do we think about personal relationships do you find yourself evaluating an existing or potential relationship by engaging in a cost benefit analysis weighing the benefits and the costs that it offers you do you think that relationships in this, if you do them that way, are they capable even of nurturing other directed love, looking outward beyond yourself, if you're just looking at what the benefits and the costs are? And the third challenge would be to set aside some time to evaluate honestly whether our cultural habit of viewing most of life through the lens of self-interest has affected our relationships with God. Do you find yourself thinking of your relationship with God or your church in terms of self-interest? What's in it for me? Um, Those are some of the challenges that can really have us think about how we're expressing our love in our culture and how some of the ways that we may not think are harmful to our spiritual health really are deadly. So, let's pray tonight. God, you've taught us lots of things and you've You're continually revealing your spirit to us. Um, And we pray that as we go through the rest of this week and beyond, that uh, we'll put some of these things about other-directed love into action. We'll think about our priorities, whether it be our time with you, what's the best time to be spending with our creator and our maker whether that's looking at our relationships and 
viewing them not as commodities to be gained and lost, but as uh, living with the future brothers and sisters of Christ. And we pray that uh, we will challenge our churches to think more about the things that we value and our worship, the things that we uh, are cool at the time may not always be what's the best for the church. And we pray that you would uh, give us the strength to um, to endure and the strength to um, strength to remain faithful to your word, God. Because goodness knows it's pretty hard, but we love you and we know that um, in order for our our faith to mean something, it has to be put into action. So we bless this time, we bless this week, and we give it all to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, thanks so much for coming, everyone. Just get to know people.